to Genesis chapter 1. If you haven't been at Green Tree, we are embarking. This is the third sermon in about a year-long series in the book of Genesis. Uh, and C.S. Lewis uh, calls humanity a glorious ruin. If you look over there at the, uh, at the uh, little phrase underneath Genesis, uh, we're going to be looking at the glorious part uh, of, of mankind today. We're going to be asking the question, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? And so I've titled the, the sermon, Boy, He Looks Like His Daddy. And I want to show you three people uh, that kind of look a little bit like their mom and their dad. Uh, if you know the Ricks family at all, you'll recognize those uh, three individuals. Uh, they're probably not very happy that I put their faces on the screen this morning, but uh, I've done worse than that to them, so they'll be, they'll be uh, forgiving of me later on. But those are uh, three children that Cindy and I have produced. The first one on the, the close end to me is Nathan. Uh, and one of the cool things that happened a, a few years ago uh, was when Cindy's mom was in town visiting, uh, she commented on how much Nathan looked like and acted like his grandfather, Alan. Now, the reason that's really awesome is because Cindy's dad, Alan, died when she was about five years old, and she never really got a chance to know him very well, to know him as an adult. And so for her to be able to look at her oldest son and see a little bit of her father was truly a a wonderful experience for her. Uh, The rose between the two thorns, that's Katie, and uh, that's her picture. Actually, a week ago, we were at graduation at College of Charleston. Uh, She just graduated, two down and one to go. We're excited about that. But if you know our family at all, you know that Katie and I have a very intense relationship. Uh, Katie and I love each other deeply. We are very affectionate towards one another. She, she's my little girl, and uh, I get teary-eyed just talking about her, even though she hadn't really done anything in particular this week. But um, actually, she called me yesterday and abused me on the phone. Uh, but those of you that know us know that we also butt heads. I mean, we are both very strong-willed, and it's because we're so alike you know, it's amazing. Cindy and I will be talking and Cindy will just like be going, oh, you guys are, you're just identical. Sometimes it drives the rest of the family crazy, but we look a lot alike, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. And then Jordan on the far end is probably the the most balanced of the three as far as both Cindy and I. Uh, He's a whiz at math, and that doesn't come from me. That comes from actually my dad, who's great at math. Uh, He's very easygoing, very laid back. And Jordan kind of has what we call the Schmidt side of the family sense of humor, very dry uh, wit. But, but if you look at them, and if I, I won't make Cindy come up here and center, you could see us and our children. The only reason I do this is to say that we're going to be considering this morning what it means to be created in the image of God. And I don't know if anybody's ever told you or you've ever studied this or not, but you have God's fingerprints all over you. God created you, and when he created you, he gave you some part of himself so that you actually look a little bit like your daddy, so to speak. Well, I want to pull that apart a little bit, and I want to see what the glorious side of humanity looks like this morning, what it means to be created in the image of God, uh, and explore that together because I think some of these insights will have great application on how we approach our lives today. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, which is the first of three accounts in the book of Genesis about the creation of man. So hear the word of God, Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him, male and female, 
he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We pray together with me. Father, there is uh, so much glory and majesty in these verses. And uh, Father, I, I can't do justice to this text. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would open our eyes to the image in which we have been created. Father, we, we live in a, a broken world and, and we caused it because of our sin. And so some of this image has been tarnished. A little bit of it has actually been erased, but much of it still remains. Lord, we maybe don't think of ourselves as being image bearers of God, and that probably has a direct impact on how we live our lives every day and the way we think about ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to what you want us to know this morning. Father, don't let me stand in the way of, of this teaching. Forgive me my, for my sin. Don't let me be a stumbling block or in any way hinder someone's ability to understand your word. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts as we have sung. Uh, teach us about the Lord and his great love and mercy for his people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is the glorious side of humanity. And that's a little bit tricky for us because when we look around the world, we know that it's broken. When we look at our own lives, we know that there are insufficiencies in our lives. We know that we don't always live up to all the things that we could do. We know that sometimes we purposely do things we ought not be doing. And at those moments, we don't look a thing like the image of God. What we're going to be looking at is the world before the fall, before sin entered the world. We're going to be looking at the glorious side of humanity. In a few weeks, we will get to the topic of evil and the brokenness of the world and how it got here and the condition in which we find ourselves today. But much of what we are talking about in the image of God uh, still remains in our lives today. And so uh, much of this, even though uh, we're scarred by sin, uh, and even though you say, well, it's not exactly true 100% anymore, we, we understand that we'll come back and we'll kind of pick that apart as well. But I want to begin in verse 26 where uh, the author of Genesis says this, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I want to talk about just for a few moments what it means to carry the image and the likeness of God. And I'm going to use three words to describe what that means. The first word I'm going to use is the word reason. Uh, man is a rational being, not an instinctual being. In other words, man has a thought process. Man has a way to figure out the problems and the, and the issues. Uh, we're problem solvers. We can be innovative. We can think through and come up with better ways to do things. You know, at some point, everybody carried everything around on their own back or in their own arms. And some place along the line, some man or woman said, you know, if we could come up with a thing called a wheel and we could put a basket on top of it and a, and a little harness on it, we could actually carry things in a cart. We wouldn't have to carry them around. 
And somebody saw that idea and they said, you know, uh, I don't know why you're pulling that thing. Why don't you harness a mule to it? Or why don't you harness an oxen to it and make the wagon bigger and you can carry more stuff? Somebody watched that for a long time and eventually said, you know, I bet there's a way that we could harness steam and make a combustion engine. And then we could make a really big engine and we could put, put it on rails, put wheels on rails, and we could carry it all over the place. The train was invented. Someplace along the line, somebody says, we don't always need big locomotives. We could use small combustion engines so that a few people could travel great distances. And behold, the automobile was invented all because some guy came up with the idea or gal came up with the idea of a wheel. That's reason. That's problem solving. And that is part of being created in the image of God. So you see advances in medicine. You see the the arts uh, in all their glory, commerce, architecture, technology. Uh, My business professor in college said, necessity is the mother of invention. When you see the ways in which the world uh, expands and technology grows and things become uh, better, Uh, we're enjoying air conditioning this morning. We're enjoying having a roof over our heads that the rain keeps away because somebody invented all that. We have reason. We have the ability to think through things. I was in Pennsylvania a few years ago, and I was reading a newspaper article that said more deer are killed in Pennsylvania by cars than they are by hunters during the the hunting season. And the hunting season was something like 100,000 deer were killed. So, So apparently hundreds of thousands of deer lose their life every year by getting hit by a car. And you want to say, well, don't they see the deer crossing signs that are put up all over the place? Didn't the deer union get together and decide that those signs needed to be put up? You know, have the deer figured out that, that if they get hit by a car, they're going to lose? You know, why is it that when a deer is standing, and what's the phrase? Deer is like a deer in the headlights, right? Because when a deer gets scared, it's an instinctual animal. It's not a reasonable animal. And the deer's instinct says, if you see something and you don't know what it is, don't move until you know what it is. And when it's a car going 80 miles an hour, the deer's got a serious problem. But deer will never figure out that they need to get out of the road. Why? Because they don't reason. I could use a whole lot of other examples, but you get my point. Man has the ability to go, I have a problem. There's a solution. Let's figure it out. That's because we're created with reason in the image and likeness of God. The second word I'm going to use for this image and likeness is the word community. You are built for relationships. You are wired to be in relationships with others. And while the Trinity is not specifically mentioned in Genesis, it certainly is implicitly mentioned and taught in this passage. And God said, let us make man in our image. The plurality of God, the community within the Godhead is certainly mentioned in this passage. And it's not by mistake, it's not by a fluke of nature that we are drawn to relationship. We're drawn to relationship with God. We're drawn to relationship with our fellow man. Could be just through friendship or it could be uh, through couples, through, through your spouse, our family relationships, our neighborhoods, our towns, our cities. Everywhere you look, men and women, boys and girls, young and old, are, are drawn into relationships with one another. In the second account of the creation of man and woman, one of the the things that Genesis lets us into is the reasoning of God when he looks at man whom he's created and he draws this conclusion. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, I've told you before that the average amount of time a little boy left alone takes to get into trouble is about eight seconds, (laughs) okay? So God knew that. He said, man needs somebody. Man needs a partner. Man needs needs an equal, a friend who can walk alongside him. It's not good 
Because I am, I am community as God, and man bears that image. It's not good for him to be alone. Creation was not complete until the woman came along. Why? Because God has created us for community. I was playing golf with Jordan uh, and a friend of mine Friday afternoon, and on the 10th hole, Jordan just crushed the ball, hit it about 300 yards, about 40 yards off the green, and chips it onto the green and goes in the hole, makes an eagle. And we're jumping up and down, and we're cheering, and we're, you know, we're fist pumping and stuff. And 30 seconds later, Jordan is in the golf cart with my phone texting like crazy. And I look over and he's texting his arch enemy on the golf course, his older brother, Nate. You know, I got an eagle. What do you, you know, you try to beat that. Why? Because he was created to be in community, even when it meant taunting his brother. We're created to be together because that's part of the image of God. The third word I want to give you under image and likeness is the word will. Resolve, motivation, determination, longings, and desires. Uh, um, James Dobson coined this phrase in the early 80s, right? The strong-willed child. Talks about a person who just, you know, has that stick to with them, and they're not going to back down. You know, you say, little Johnny or little Susie, don't cross over that line. And the strong-willed child says, which line were you speaking of? Oh, this, oh, I'm terribly sorry. That, you know, the, the will, the determination. Katie's our, our strong-willed one. Just tell Katie she can't do something, and then watch her go to town. I believe the will is a combination of both reason and emotion. And a will is a sense of accomplishment, the sense of I want to be able to do something. I'm motivated. I'm determined to fulfill my longings and my desires. In my life, I I look back when I met Cindy in high school, and I kind of noticed her for the first time, and I thought, ooh, she's kind of cute. And, and my will began to, to move and to, and to take on kind of a lifestyle. I want to spend some time with her. I'd like to, I'd like to get to know her. I, I'd like to hang out with her a little bit. And, and a guy's born like, I really want to make her mine, you know? And, and, and there were some bumps in the road, and I blew it sometimes, but, but I was in the process of, I love this word, wooing her. I just love woo. That's just such a great word. I want to woo her to be, to be mine because I had a determination that she was the one for me. The first time my dad ever met Cindy, he said to me, you ought to marry that girl. She was like 16 years old, um, which says something about arranged marriages between for parents, and that's a sermon for another day. Um, but you have a will. Uh, theologians call it a free will. We're going to talk about free will and how that plays into Genesis in a few weeks. But that's because God has a will, and God has emotions. God has motivation and determination, and he's passed that on to you and to me. As I said before, we'll discuss how sin has impacted us. But men and women's mental and emotional and spiritual being reflects being made in the image of God. The second phrase of the three I want to talk about for just a moment is found in verse 27 uh, in uh, chapter 1 where it says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And here's the part I want to talk about. Male and female, he created them. Now, our names, male and female, which in the Hebrew are different than the word man, which literally stands for mankind or humanity as the race, but male and female identify both the similarity and a distinctiveness about us. And I'm going to talk about this for a few minutes this morning because I believe that we live in a culture that would like to do away with the distinctiveness between men and women. 
We live in a day and age, and we live in a culture, particularly in the United States, and you see it in Western Europe as well, that says there are no difference between the sexes. Uh, it's a unisex mentality. Uh, we want to feminize men, and we want to masculize women in order that we can blend into one group, and that is not how God intended it. And the author of Genesis says there's something very distinct about being a male, and there's something very distinct about being a female. Yes, there are similarities. The three words I just mentioned, reason, community, and will, we all have those in common. We may move in in those in different ways in those arenas, but we all share that. We have likes, we have dislikes. There, There are movies that both men and women like and movies that both men and women don't like. There are lots of things that we share in common in our communication with one another, but there are distinctives and we need to honor those and celebrate those as being given to us in the image of God. And I don't need science to prove this, although I could use science to prove it. All I need is a playground and a ball and a bunch of first graders. As you take a bunch of first grade boys and you take them out on the playground the first day of school and you don't give them any instruction, you just throw that ball out there and you stand back and watch them, what's going to happen with those boys? I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. It won't take very long before there's a game that's going on. And it's going to be a highly competitive game. And they will not have stopped to learn one another's names and to find out what streets they live on and who their dads are and who their moms are, what they like and what they don't like. They're going to get to the game. And as the game goes along, rules are going to be determined as they're needed. That ball's out of bounds. No, it's not. There's no line. Okay, well, the out of bounds line now is right here. Everybody got that? Okay, let's keep going. And eventually somebody's going to get sideways with somebody else. And there's a good chance in the first couple days there's going to be a bloody nose because boys are highly competitive. And after a week or two weeks or three weeks of school, they're probably still not going to know much about each other. They're not going to have talked a whole lot about their likes and their dislikes, but they're going to know who won what game at recess. And the game is going to evolve and develop into a beautiful, beautiful thing. And by the end of the school year, they might know each other's first names, but they'll know the record of wins and losses. Those are boys. Now give me a group of first grade girls and give me a ball, and I'll show you the difference between boys and girls. The girls will probably create a game as well, but the rules will be defined right away so that everybody knows what we're playing and how it's going to work. The game will not be rough and tumble. It's not going to be pound on each other. It will be something along the lines of when the ball is passed to you, you tell us three things about yourself that we don't already know. (laughs) And before the game is over on the first day, they will know everybody's names They will know a lot of the likes and dislikes. They'll know something about their families. And at least six slumber parties will have already been planned out. There's a difference between men and women. I'm not saying that little girls can't be competitive. They certainly can be. I'm not saying that that little boys can't talk to one another, get to know each other, but there is a distinct difference. And this carries over into adulthood. It absolutely carries over into our adult relationships. I'll come home from four hours on the golf course and Cindy will say, what did you guys talk about on the golf course today? And I'll say... Could you repeat the question? I don't understand it. Did you guys talk about anything? You're together for four hours. Talked about golf. <laughs> we said it was a good shot. Jordan was texting Jordan. That he, Jordan's texting Nate that he got, that he got an eagle. What, what do you mean we were talking about? Well, did you know that you know, so-and-so struggling with this? And did you guys talk about that? And we're like, oh, yeah, well, somebody might have mentioned that on the 12th hole. But, but we're out there to play golf. We communicate in a different way way. Men love to compete. They love to strive. They enjoy the struggle. Women are passionate about nurturing, about being communicative, about being relational. doesn't mean that men can't be relational or shouldn't be relational. We should. It doesn't mean that women can't be competitive. 
The first three years Cindy and I were married, we didn't have a TV that really worked all that well. And so we played Yahtzee. And we played Yahtzee probably three nights a week. It's where you roll the dice and get the combination of the numbers, right? Three years of playing Yahtzee, never beat her. Not once. She kicked my tail every time we play Yahtzee. I'd be too, I'm not making this up. You can ask her. Two o'clock in the morning. Come on, we're going to play one more game. We got to play one more game because why? Because I got to win. And she's like, can we just not enjoy being together? I'm like, yeah, but, but I got to win. Let's play another game. It's the difference between men and women. And then she uttered those words that no man ever wants to hear in his whole life. Okay, we'll, we'll play one more game and I'll let you win. I had apoplexy on the spot. Are you kidding me? Let me win? I'd rather die. There's a unity among the sexes, but there's also a diversity. And we need to celebrate that that is being made in the image of God. If you go through and you read the Psalms and you read about the characteristics of God throughout the Psalms, you will see many of those characteristics end with a masculine ending and many of those characteristics end with a feminine ending. And it's not because God is both masculine and feminine. God is neither masculine nor feminine. God is God. But in his character, all of those traits exist in perfection, and the expression of those traits is found in the differences and in the unity of men and women, and we need to celebrate that and lift it up and not try to suppress it. One other observation about being made, the image of likeness of God this morning is found in verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Derek Kidner, who's a very wise uh, theologian, said that God's blessing in Genesis chapter 1 in this particular verse denotes both a gift and a function. In other words, when God blessed them, he blessed them with the planet. And as you went on and read, God talks about, hey, I've given you all of this for you. I'm blessing you with this gift. But Kidner also says there's a function involved in the blessing. In other words, God didn't just create the world, give it to man and say, well, now sit around and twiddle your thumbs. You don't have anything really to do. God didn't just create infinite leisure time, but rather he gave men and women a task. And the fourfold blessing that God gave at the moment of creation obligated mankind to care for and nurture the gift that was given. The first thing God says to them, you can lump it in these three words, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Procreation is part of the life cycle of humanity. That's why we believe unequivocally that marriage is between a man and a woman because that is how the earth is filled. That is how we are multiplied. That is how the earth is is fruitful in the human race. And God gave a very specific role to men and to women in this blessing. Create the family, so to speak, is what God is saying to our first parents. But he goes on and he says also part of this blessing, not only is that you would fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but also so that you would subdue it and have dominion. In other words, we're stewards, we're caretakers, we're governors, we are managers, so to speak, of the earth's vast resources. All of it has been given for our good, but man is the pinnacle of God's creation. It wasn't until God stepped back and looked at everything he had created with man at the top when he said, it is now very good. We are not interlopers in this planet, 
I said two weeks ago, we do not worship creation. We're called to govern it and to care for it and to use its resources for the betterment of mankind, but we do not worship the created order. In October of uh, 2006, New Science Magazine came out with an expose entitled Imagine Earth Without People. Uh, And there's a show, I think it's on Discovery Channel now, that talks about Earth after people, which if you read the Bible, you know that that isn't possible. Uh, When people leave the planet, the earth dissolves and the new heavens and the new earth are created. But in this this article, uh, one of the scientists explores the question of whether or not the planet would be better off without the presence of mankind. Now, friends, the question's flawed because creation was given for man. We could talk about the abuse that man has, has brought upon the world, and that's a fair question. And we absolutely need to consider that. But to say that the earth would be better off, the sad truth, here's the quote, is that once humans get out of the picture, the outlook starts to look a lot better, said John Oreck, a conservation biologist at the National Center for Ecological Analysis and Synthesis. I don't think it would be a whole lot better for John because that means he'd be gone too. But the misunderstanding in our day and age of creation and why it is there and how it should be nurtured and cared for is greatly misunderstood. But in our glorious state, we are given a responsibility and we are given an opportunity to let the earth flourish, to figure out ways to nurture creation itself and in that way reflect the image of God in order for the world to bring him glory. What does all of this mean? We know that sin has created flaws, uh, but as I said before, the resemblance still remains. We've mentioned a little bit of that this morning. How do we apply this truth in Genesis chapter 1 to our lives? And I just want to give you a few quick observations this morning. The first is this. I want to go back to, to the idea of reason uh, and being created in the image of likeness of God. Reason and creativity need to be nurtured and celebrated by disciples of Jesus. I'm going to do a little did you know for just a second about Green Tree Community Church. Did you know that that one of the doctors here at Green Tree has actually written the medical textbook for his field of expertise? Did you know that there's a woman who attends Green Tree Community Church regularly who was one of the original dancers on American Bandstand? It's pretty cool. You guys that are like under 30, you can ask your mom and dad what American Bandstand is and they'll be happy to fill you in on that. Uh, I know two, at least two guys at Green Tree that have their pilot's license. One of them even teaches others. He's an instructor. He teaches other folks how to fly. And we have a person in our church that rode their bike across most of the continental United States. We have a, a man in our congregation who's run 48 marathons. Do the math on the numbers of miles that he's run. There's all kinds of creative, artistic, glorious people at Green Tree Community Church. And sometimes we get wrapped up in this idea that unless you're doing something distinctly Christian, then it must not be the best use of your time. Let me tell you something. If you're an accountant, go be the best accountant you can be for Jesus. If you're a business person, go create business opportunities in the name of Jesus, but celebrate and enjoy. If you're a teacher, teach with all your heart because all truth is God's truth. We don't separate between the secular and the sacred. It's all God's. And sometimes we get a little bit too serious, I think, and and we limit our activities to what they ought to be. Now, there's a dark side to this creativity. I witnessed it firsthand last night. I was at a birthday party at Green Tree for uh, somebody who turned 30, and they brought a karaoke machine, okay? So there's a dark side to creativity. I just just want to tell you that right now. I, I snuck out, got out of there before somebody got me thinking I should stand up and sing. But sitting there listening to people sing karaoke, that's awesome. Why? Because it's the image of God, the celebration 
and the joy that's ours. And I think as Christians, we need to relax a little bit and enjoy who God's created us, the image bearing that he has given. I want to also suggest along the lines of community that we need to be a people who fight against relational decay, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be between us and our children or between friends and neighbors. God in his identity as the Trinity by definition, has community within his very existence. And he offers that community to us. What did Jesus say were the most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We need to be the people who celebrate community, who call on others and invite others in a community. I absolutely hate it when I hear somebody say, I left Green Tree because nobody talked to me drives me out of my mind. And I'm not accusing you all of doing that this morning. It happens from time to time. There's lots of reasons for it. But are we coming on Sunday morning, just as one small example saying, who can I meet this morning? Who could I talk to and just say hi to and make them feel a part of the community? You might be making somebody feel a part of the community who's been a green tree for 10 years. I got one question. So what? (laughs) What a blessing that might be to that person. Maybe they're coming in and they're thinking, you know what? I've been here 10 years. Nobody even knows my name. And you're the person that walked up and said, hello, we need to develop community. It's wrong for us to ignore. We cannot disengage from our culture. One of our core values is to renew communities. We want Kirkwood to be a better place because we're here. We want St. Louis to be a better place because we're here. Not just in the scope of, of evangelism and the message of the gospel, although that is at our pinnacle, but simply to provide for our community opportunities for people to be in relationship with one another. We also need to be a good steward of God's creation. We need to be wise and careful about the resources which God has entrusted us. We are stewards, we are managers, we are not owners, and we are not entitled to abuse the creation that God has given us. Did you know that Kirkwood, Missouri has an urban forestry commission? I didn't know that. I was looking at their website a couple weeks ago, found out that we have an urban forestry commission. The other thing I found out was that the chairman of the forestry commission is a member of Green Tree Community Church. I thought that was pretty cool. There's somebody who says, you know what, I I love to make sure that the the green space around Kirkwood is is honored and and we develop more of that. That's pretty cool. That's somebody who's stewarding the creation that God has given us. One last observation. I believe we need to be purposefully active in the function of God's blessing. Remember what I said, a kidner said about the blessing. It is both a gift and a function. And I believe that as the people of God, we need to be actively developing that function in our own lives. And it's going to look different in everybody's life. It might be that you become one of those child advocates that they showed in training for 2028. We have a member of Green Tree that's, that's very involved in the foster program in Missouri. In a couple of weeks, there's actually going to be a table out in the hallway where you can learn more about that. We need to respect and honor and nurture life from the womb to the grave. We need to find ways to be advocates for those less fortunate than us. I've met a couple of social workers that work at our local hospitals. They're wonderful people that nurture and care for. They found their function and their identity as being created in the image of God, and God's given them a heart to care for people who are hurting and in crisis in the hospital. Your function might be that you know how to fix bikes, and on 2028, you can fix 20 bikes to everybody else's one. Use that function with joy and with thanksgiving because God has put his fingerprints all over your character. When you stop and think about it, being created in the image of God is an amazing, it's truly an amazing thing. You carry his likeness, and I carry his likeness. Flawed though it may be at this point, into every relationship, 
in every situation in which we find ourselves. Men and women, equal, unified, yet diverse, caring for the world and treating everyone as someone created in the image of God. Let's pray together.